Hello, this is the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. I'm Gavin Costigan, and this week we're discussing the technology and ethics behind biometrics and facial recognition technology. And to discuss that with me is Carly Kind, Director of the Ada Lovelace Institute. Carly, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Um, Just for those who are less familiar with the Ada Lovelace Institute, could you briefly tell us what it does? Sure. The Ada Lovelace Institute is an evidence-led, policy-facing think tank and research institute that has been set up with a specific remit to ensure that data and AI work for people and society. And that means we're interested in the social and ethical impacts of data-driven technologies and understanding how they're changing society and trying to prescribe policy interventions, but also practical interventions to ensure that um, advancements in technology are consistent with social values and, and with rights as well. Fantastic. Now, today we're talking about biometric technologies. Just to be clear, can you help us understand what we mean by that term and, and give some examples of the different technologies? Sure. So biometrics are is a kind of catch-all phrase that usually refers to biometric data that um, is a physiological or physical characteristics of a person. So your biometric data includes your face, your fingerprints, your DNA, uh, your irises, um, any uh, physiological or physical characteristic. And it also includes behavioural characteristics as well. So things like how you walk or um, uh, uh, your voice print, for example, is also a a piece of biometric data. Um, And biometric data are a unique form of personal data because they can, um, they're a part of your body that can uniquely identify you and thus they can be used uh, for a whole range of different reasons to, uh, to individually uniquely identify a person. Um, we're seeing, um, uh, as technology advances, we're seeing a range of different technical ways of using biometric data to uniquely identify people. So um, fingerprinting um, has been around for a very long time. We're now seeing fingerprint scanners being used um, at airports, for example, um, or perhaps at your bank use a fingerprint scanner as a in place of a, 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 identity, a form of identification. And as technology gets better and better, we're seeing different types of biometric data being uh, built into different technologies. So the one most people will be familiar with now is facial recognition, whereby a technical system um, acquires an image of your face, turns that into a template, um, which is a series of numbers that represent your individual face, and then uses that to authenticate you, to identify you, to track you, potentially to match you across different things. And of course, now we see facial recognition in everywhere from our iPhones to to supermarkets and shopping centres to police. And how good is the technology? Um, Biometrics are supposed to uh, identify you individually. Is the technology at that stage at the moment? So the biometric data itself is absolutely unique. And then there's a question of how you translate the biometric data into a technical form that can then be um, kept against who you are and also joined up with other pieces of information. And the way you do that is um, requires pieces of technology that are of course valuable in different ways so if we think about fingerprint scanners for example fingerprint scanners may 
um, fail across a range of different reasons. For example, if the scanner itself is uh, dirty or if my fingerprints have been worn down by years of work in, in the fields, for example. And there are a range of different kind of cultural reasons why uh, different biometric technologies might not be very good. So um, thinking about iris scanners, which are very popular in uh, Middle Eastern countries, for example, many Middle Eastern banks use iris scanning as a way of authenticating identity. But obviously there's a question about access to the iris may be more difficult for women who wear veils, for mm-hmm. example. So those are that's a one kind of category of challenges that biometric technologies face. In the context of facial recognition, one of the big challenges is how you acquire the biometric data in either controlled or uncontrolled environments. So when you think about a fingerprint scanner, that's a very controlled environment, right? I'm placing my finger on a fingerprint scanner. When you think about using a piece of technology to first identify a face in a crowd, then match that face to another face, and then match that face potentially against a very long list of other faces, Um, You're doing that in an uncontrolled environment, so you can't really control how the weather, how the movement might restrict the acquisition of the biometric template in the first place. And then beyond that, the technology that is used to match uh, facial recognition is that it's using a probability score, right? So it's very difficult to say 100% this is yes or no, this is the same face but it can reach very high levels of probability that a face matches another face. And those levels of probability have increased quite a lot in recent years. Um, And that's because of dramatic improvements in in, um, uh, machine uh, learning focused on image recognition. So in the late 2010s, there was the establishment of something called ImageNet, which was a dedicated database of images uh, scraped off the internet, tagged, um, manually um, to enable computers to learn how to recognize images. So ImageNet, I think when it was finished being made, had something like 14 million images that had all been right. manually tagged by humans that enabled computers to learn how to recognize images. And so over the last five years, you've probably noticed that you the border gates at airports, for example, are much better now than they were three, four years ago. And that's in part due to advancements in machine learning and AI, which enable computers to recognize images much better. Sure. Um, So we can see a lot of potential uses for Mm -hmm. facial recognition technology Mm -hmm. in terms of identification. Some uh, as an individual we might see as positive, some as an individual we might see as negative, but we can certainly uh, see what those are. What are the key concerns, both the ethical concerns and any other concerns, about facial recognition technology? Sure. Okay, so I think the first concern is around the accuracy, as you kind of alluded to in your previous question. Does it work or doesn't it work? I said it's gotten a lot, lot better in recent years, and that is true. It still doesn't perform as well for some groups of people as it performs for others. So because uh, facial recognition is based on machine learning, which relies heavily on the data sets that that train the algorithms, when data sets aren't comprised in a way that ensures diversity of facial images, then the algorithm doesn't learn as well to recognise black faces as it does to recognise white faces, for example. Okay, so, and that's simply because there aren't as many black faces on, in the database correct, tagged up. Okay. Correct. So with ImageNet, um, chiefly, the studies show that the algorithm was much better at uh, recognising male faces and much better at recognising um, white faces than it was women and uh, people of colour. Um, and that's that's a question of the data that's 
um, used to train the algorithm essentially. So it can okay. be, it is one that can be rectified. Yeah. Um, you have to be aware that those biases exist in order to yeah. rectify it. But uh, without a doubt, that's a problem that can be solved. Okay. There's a separate kind of question or a conversation that I might put to one side, which is about facial recognition for emotion detection. And that is how there is a claim, some claim that facial recognition can not only recognize faces, but can uh, interpret the emotions on faces and make some conclusions on the basis of that, either about what that person is thinking or feeling, their propensity for violence, their, you know, a range of other personality characteristics. Now, that there's, there's, there are those who say that that's a pseudoscience that underpins that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nevertheless being deployed in some, restri- in some respects, for example, uh, as part of EU border um, security processes, there are some programs that run lie detection on people who are coming through border controls, for example. But I think let's put that to one side. Um, back to your question on the, the problems of facial recognition for identification. If you, if you take the accuracy questions and put them to one side, I think that the more... Uh, the broader um, uh, and more concerning ethical considerations are around persistent identification. So the idea that as this technology becomes uh, cheaper and more widely available, um, it will be deployed in more and more places and enable more persistent identification across public and private spaces. And that has a flow on effects for privacy, but not only for privacy, for freedom of expression, for the freedom of individuals to participate in demonstrations, for example, and protests, and to live their lives um, kind of independent from intervention. And I think that's a big kind of bundle of ethical challenges all wrapped up in that notion that you can be identified in many different places. I think if you think about facial recognition in the context of criminal justice there's an another set of concerns which is around due process about how individuals are identified by computers and what kind of human review and oversight there is there as well so i think those are some of the issues that come up immediately and i think it's also important to think about this technology not only as it might be used in the uk but as it's used in other countries as well yeah so picking up on a couple of those points Mm -hmm. you mentioned just at the end criminal justice and i know the metropolitan police have trialed the use of facial recognition technology Uh, what can we learn from that trial in terms of both the accuracy and how it was used and how it affected the communities uh, that they were dealing with yeah on the first point on the accuracy i can't really speak to the accuracy of the technology other than to say that the systems that the police were using are proprietary systems that they've acquired Um, there's an argument that those systems weren't very good. There have been various studies which talk about false positive rates and there are different ways of interpreting that. But I think for me, one of the biggest considerations there is the fact that it's very difficult as a member of the public to really scrutinise that because much of it was a closed process. Both the acquisition of the technology, there's very little knowledge publicly about which systems the police are using. There's no way to independently audit those systems, for example, from a technical perspective. So I think the transparency around the Met's acquisition and, and South Wales Police and others' acquisition of those systems is is a big question. Um, and that links to a second issue, which is around the public's knowledge and the public's kind of informed participation in sure. trials on, sure, sure. on facial recognition. So there wasn't 
a lot of information put out in the public domain. There wasn't a lot of public consultation about how it should be done in a way that doesn't erode trust in police. And I think that that's some of the blowback that we've seen since those trials. So one of the other things you talked about was uh, persistence of identification. Mm -hmm. And certainly for facial recognition, and I guess for things like walking gait, it's one of the things that can be done at a distance without your knowledge, without your consent, um, which is rather different from fingerprints where clearly you have to put your finger on something Mm -hmm. and and, uh, you can see that that throws up a different set of questions. so far, we've been talking mainly about uh, public use of that, but mm. presumably there are potential commercial uses of our data, as there are always, mm. um, and some questions and concerns we might have about uh, companies getting our facial recognition. Yeah, absolutely. And I said that there wasn't a lot of public consultation or transparency around the police use. There's been even less around public se- sorry, private companies deploying facial recognition at least in the UK. We know very little about where companies use facial recognition technology. We've seen some public revelations, I suppose, around, for example, new developments in King's Cross using facial recognition for the purpose of kind of detecting intruders and and uh, shoplifters and other people loitering in public semi semi private public spaces around King's Cross. And we know that the police have also sought sought to access the database held by the private companies. So I think that's a kind of separate but equally interesting question about when private companies use it, but then police can access it. Uh, But beyond that, we know that um, in a range of different kind of shopping areas throughout the UK, facial recognition is being used on billboards and in kind of um, digitized marketing boards to not to individually recognize individuals, I not to uh, um, assign them a unique identity necessarily, but to recognize when a, sh- a shopper walking by is a woman or a man, what age they might be. And some of those technologies claim to be able to recognize the emotional state of the shopper as well, whether they're happy or sad, and then deliver them advertising accordingly. We also know that in shopping centres and supermarkets in the UK, some stores are using facial matching technology to recognise repeat shoppers, um, to see where on shelves they're looking, um, which products they're looking at on certain shelves, and also to potentially track shoplifters and keep a record of when um, problematic individuals are coming back into their stores. Mm. And then outside of the UK, we've seen applications in schools, for example, to register attendance. That's happened in Sweden, although it's recently been restricted there. Um, And there are a whole range of different private sector uses in countries like China, for example, where facial recognition is used on the subway, um, as, as one example. What's interesting about the list of things that you said is that uh, despite being fairly active in terms of reading the news, I was unaware of quite a few mm-hmm. of those applications. Mm-hmm. So there's a bit of me just as an individual thinking, that's a bit scary, uh, that's a bit interesting. Why, why haven't we had a sort of a public consultation or a public discussion about some of those things? Are we just behind the curve or is it because the technology is moving very quickly? What do you think? I think that's a really good question. I, I suspect part of it is, I think there's a few different aspects to that. I think part of it is the technology has moved very quickly. Only five years ago, it just wasn't very good. And so um, it wasn't really feasible that you could see it playing all those different functions. Um, And as it's gotten better, it's also gotten cheaper and more widely available. There's more companies making it. You can buy off the shelf. You don't need a bespoke system, etc. So all of those things increases its prevalence a lot. 
Um, I also think that with facial recognition technology, there's a there's a kind of futuristic element to it that we've become accustomed to seeing in films for quite a long time. Yeah, that's true. And so now that it's here in reality, it's it's taking us by surprise in a way, but it's it's something that we're familiar with because we've seen it on, you yeah. know, it was in Star Trek, you know, yeah. many decades ago, facial recognition. So for those reasons, I think it's kind of snuck up on us in a way. And I also don't think, more fundamentally, I don't think we've grappled as a society with what it means to have this form of persistent identification available everywhere. And particularly, as you quite rightly pointed out, one that is so able to process uh, data that we passively give away constantly all the time. I just don't think we've really grappled with the immensity of that and the immensity of that challenge in terms of regulation and in terms of policy because um, it cuts across every domain and we're really only at the beginning if you can imagine a world in which we have more and more driverless cars on the road each of those cars necessarily will be fitted out with facial recognition technology because they'll need to be able to identify pedestrians you know that at that point we now have uh, tens of millions of more facial recognition enabled CCTV cameras on the streets and then we have this explosion of data and and there's a whole new realm of what is possible so I think the the kind of magnitude of it is something we're still grappling with. And one of the things you mentioned in there is that we will have to regulate and that's clearly right and it's also difficult Mm. to to work out what to regulate, how to regulate Um, and I know that um, Scotland looked to introduce legislation in this area Um, and I wondered if you could say a little bit about that and maybe what we can learn from that in terms of uh, legislation for England and Wales? So Scotland has looked at the use of biometrics in policing only. They haven't grappled yet with the private sector elements. Um, But they have shown real foresight in trying to grapple with what this category of data, i.e. biometric data, um, means in the context of a a technology-enabled future. And I think that that is, is actually quite ahead of its time. And what it recognises is facial recognition is only the first of such technologies. And if we try to regulate the technology itself, I think we will quickly become outdated in the policy that we adopt. What we need to think about is something that cuts across uh, different technologies and is in a way technology neutral, but which can accommodate these changing advancements. And so what Scotland has done is, is through the use of an expert group, uh, prescribe a set of Kind of principles which uh, are high level which they're then going to try and um, enshrine to different legal protections um, but the starting point is on biometrics and biometric data as a cross-cutting set sure. a subset of da- data that needs to be regulated and I think that that's the right approach that is looking at why is biometric data a special category of data um, how are all the ways in which it can be used and then how do we regulate the use of that data across sectors across applications etc i think that that's the right approach rather than taking a technology specific approach so it's not so much about the technology of capturing the data it's about who then has it who has access to it what they can use it for yes i think it's about um 
it is about capturing the data, but the, 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 the starting point is that what, what is the data, not what is the technology. So the, the yes. data is facial images. You may use a facial recognition system to capture that, but you may use something else in future. Um, how do we then think about who, has, who captures it? How are they supposed to use it? When do they need to delete it? What protections does it need to have on place? Who are they allowed to share it with, etc.? And then who's not allowed to capture that specific type of data or other mm. similar categories? And are we seeing legislation in other countries that we can learn from? So the only place in the world that has a biometrics law is the state of Illinois. Okay. They recently adopted a law two, three years ago, um, and it's proving to be very effective, but also creating uh, quite a lot of legal challenges currently, in particular vis-a-vis Google and Facebook, but also in really interesting contexts, for example, vis-a-vis a uh, theme park that requires entrance to provide their fingerprint um information so that's the only place in the world where there's a law specifically looking at biometric data even though in some countries you have immense biometric data systems for example in india where adhar the national identity system has the biometrics of more than a billion people on one database they don't have a biometric law there nor do they have a data protection law um, although one is going through parliament at the moment Um, so i think we're still seeing states play catch up sure so finally um Let's be optimistic rather than pessimistic. Look into a crystal ball. Five years from now, if we get this right, where do you think we'll be? If we get this right, Britain will have the world's first technology-neutral biometric data law, which ensures that biometric data, as we currently understand it, and all the future ways in which it's being used, is regulated and policed such that it can be used for applications that have genuine public benefit um, and used in a way that is secure and private, but that which stems what feels at the moment to be the inevitable kind of creep of facial recognition throughout our society. Um, So I'm optimistic that Britain could potentially lead the way in a new way of looking at regulation in this space. not kind of give in to this deterministic feel that facial recognition is necessarily here to stay in every corner of every city in the country. Sure. Well, that's an optimistic place to finish on. We'll come back in 2025 and see how well we've done. Carly Kine, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. You're listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. You can find us on soundcloud.com, on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you found this podcast. Or you can check out further details about the Foundation at www.foundation.org.uk.